We are back. It is Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. We are going to be closing out The Mandalorian Season 3 here today with our patented rankings episode. We're going to have some fun ranking a few things in order. Got some 5 through 1s for you. Got some ranking lists of the episodes. It's going to be a good time. Always enjoy doing these types of episodes. And you know, before we dive in on into it, I want to turn the floor to Chase to say a few words. Yeah, man, this is it. Closing out Mando today, season three. It's been a badass ride. You know, looking forward to doing it again in the future. But uh, this is be a good one to close out. Um, a nice, fun one. These are some of our most fun episodes. But I'll let you take it away, man. For sure. Yeah, I think we're going to be ranking five categories today. And we're going to go ahead and start with the ranked order of episodes. So this is going to be from, you know, obviously... Eight being our least favorite, one being our most favorite of every episode in season three of The Mandalorian. Uh, since I went ahead and kicked us off here today, I'll let Chase go ahead and kick us off with our first category. Bro, give us your number eight ranked episode in season three of The Mandalorian. Yeah, man, number eight. I wasn't the biggest fan of this one. I didn't have a problem with it, but it was the episode three, which is where we had our transitional moments we were going from a big space fight to uh you know all of a sudden we're getting interrogated a little bit so it was a little strange uh trig uh to you know trigger everyone's memory this is the one with the doctor but also you had some stuff going on with Bo-Katan and you had Din Djarin so it was just nothing wrong with it really not really a bunch of plot holes but I had to rank it last because just the transitions were, dear lord, atrocious, man. They were awful. What about you, brother? Yeah, honestly, we think alike with this one here. I also ranked episode three as my number eight ranked episode. And a lot of the reasons you just said. But on top of it, I just feel like we could have probably pulled this entire episode out of this season and it wouldn't have changed a whole lot. You know, that's what I feel like. You know, it almost, I don't want to say it's a useless episode, but... I'm sure it's important going forward, but for this season alone, it almost like it wasn't necessary. And to kind of piggyback off what Chase was saying there about the trans- transitions of the sequence of events, you know, we start off the episode and you're in this really cool high-speed chase with Bo-Katan and Din Djarin coming back from the planet Mandalore where they just jumped in those waters to redeem themselves and they're trying to make their way back to Bo-Katan's home like, base there with the castle. And they get intercepted and attacked with absolutely... No, we still know who sent those things to this day. They never got explained. I mean, we can draw conclusions and, you know, give educated guesses, but and that never got answered. Then when they escaped the attack of these TIE fighters, all of a sudden we're on Coruscant talking to this doctor having a summit about his old practices and... He's not even that important because then he's doing some office clerical desk work, and, you know. And then you go through this whole episode of them uh, of Elia Kane. She's still kind of secretly working for the Empire. We tend to find out throughout the episode. Sets him up, cranks that machine, fries his brain, or does something to him at the end. But like I said, I feel as if this season itself, maybe the overall story of the Mandalorian, maybe altered of this episodes removed but i don't think this season changes at all without it so uh you know for that reason and other reasons uh, you listed as well my number eight ranked episode goes to episode three go ahead and, and, and give us your number seven yeah man great minds think alike and it doesn't happen often <laughs> but uh number seven i have episode one 
This was uh, the one where you had like that monster on the beach. I thought that was pretty badass, but uh, just because nothing really more about it really enticed me, I had to put it at number seven. So episode one, I put number seven. Back to you, man. Yeah, number seven for me is episode two. And again, a lot of it is because I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. So this is the episode where they end up going to the planet Mandalore to get redeemed. And Jaren's got to jump in so he's no longer an apostate. So he can be welcomed back to his clan or his covert as they call it. But at the end of the day when <laughs> everyone is able to take their helmets off anyways. By the time this damn season comes to a close. So what the hell was the point of this whole episode? You want him go through these tragic perils, almost died. And made his way back out with the help of Bo-Katan. Also, three episodes later, you can be like, yeah, just kidding, guys. Helmet's not necessary. Go ahead and take them off. Kick back. Relax a little bit. This is Mandalore. This is the new Mandalore. You know what I mean? Like, So just one of those things that really bothered me. It's like, what was the point of the entire episode? It's just to him for him to be redeemed. But if you're just going to do that later on, it just seems kind of pointless. So for me, uh, number seven ranked episode goes to episode two. Go ahead and go into your number six. Number six, I have episode four. I thought this one was pretty cool, man. It didn't make, you know, higher on the list just because I didn't find it as more of an important episode, but it was cool at the beginning where, you know, you had Grogu and that foundling guy, the younger one. They played that dark game, which kind of reminded me of The Witcher a little bit. Remember when they were playing the game with knives? I thought it was badass. Uh, and then, you know, they that kid got kidnapped by the pterodactyl looking thing whatever you want to call it so had some badass monsters too man so that was my number six what's your number six number six for me is episode six and this was this jack black lizzo episode also the doctor from back to the future it's just one of those things where it seemed kind of silly it was a fun episode it was entertaining i enjoyed it had a few quality laughs with it but then you just throw this really important part in the last 20 minutes of this damn episode where Bo-Katan becomes the leader of the Mandalorians because the uh, Darksaber technically now belongs to her since she saved Din Djarin from the beast that beat him and then she beat that beast. So now she's the rightful wielder of the Darksaber and... That's fine. I thought it went over really cool, especially when her and Axe Woves had this battle for dominance of you know the mercenary tribe there, the Night Owls, whatever you want to call them. But it just seems like they threw that into this episode where it didn't really matter. What like This planet, I don't think, is going to have any sort of importance going forward. Maybe it does. Maybe I'm wrong. But this whole entire thing just seemed like a comic relief episode. They had the droids drinking in the bar. He drinking oil, different types of oil, and... We're sitting there looking at having Grogu getting played with by Lizzo, a, a singer, and you know, playing with the baby Yoda there, baby Grogu, and you know, they had to find these bots that were faulty and figured out it was Captain Hellgate, who's the Back to the Future guy, you know? So it just seemed, it was just an entertaining episode, which would have been fine in and of itself. I would have enjoyed it if it was, but then you just threw this really big, important part of the Mandalorians going forward with uh, allowing Bo-Katan to regain the mantle of, of the leader of them all, so... I don't know. It just kind of didn't make any sense. I figured you could have put that in in a, another episode, maybe more action-packed, maybe more intensive. But nah, you threw it into the most like comedic episode. It just threw me off. I'm like, what the hell? It's like the, the, I watched it. Like I almost thought I almost changed the channel. Did, did, I, did I like skip ahead to another episode? What the hell is this? But uh, yeah, man. So for that reason, I put my number six ranking to episode six. Go ahead and tier number five. 
Hey, like I said, great minds think alike, man. I thought it was weird. <laughs> Number five, I put episode six. That was my problem, man, was it was just very, took us off course. Like your whole idea was to go get over to Woves and, uh, you know, kind of get more of the creed. And then all of a sudden we're going on this mission where just like you said, you know, I think the coolest part was you had that dive bar where the droids were drinking oil cans. So I thought that was sick. So uh, for the kind of strange cameos and it took us out of the loop, but it was still pretty action packed and kind of cool with the droid bar. I put number five was episode six, Guns for Hire, which had Jack Black Lizzo and the Doc from Back to the Future. What about your number five, man? Yeah, number five for me, I gave it to episode one. You know, Din Djarin comes back and as an, as an apostate, he helps them fight that dino turtle. And that thing was nasty. That thing took out a lot of them. And as you can see, that the Mandalorians are in a difficult time. And who knows if Din Djarin didn't show up, what would have happened? But then, you know, that's why I, I also like this episode because that's where he gets the directive of going to the planet Mandalore. Which, even though the reason he went there is kind of silly because it was to be redeemed for taking off his helmet... The, at least he found that the planet is not poisonous. They are able to inhabit it. That is a big thing going forward. They're going to try to rebuild that planet now. So it all starts because if he never went to that planet to see if he could be redeemed, the, they would still believe that the planet was uninhabitable. And it would be a whole bigger issue. And you know, I would say even Moff Gideon would probably have a deeper stronghold because they never would have went back and he could have stayed there for even longer. So you know, those are the reasons why I put for my number five ranking, uh, I put it episode one. Go ahead and go to number four. Yeah, man, number four, I got episode two, The Minds of Mandalore. I thought it was cool with the cave trolls is what they kind of looked like. You know, you're trolling the dungeon. That's kind of what I was thinking. But And then you had that cyborg spider kind of thing that looked like it was straight out of a Transformers Michael Bay film. So it was, uh, and you know, you had some kick-ass moments with Bo-Katan there cutting its head off, but there was really another alien guy inside, so... Not a lot of surprises, uh, you know, especially kind of towards the end there, too. But uh, we got to see a little bit of Bo-Katan a bit kind of stepping into her own in a way. So I put it at number four, man. I thought it was pretty cool. What's your number four? Number four for me is episode four. This is where the youngling was kidnapped. And I thought this was a cool episode for a few different reasons. Bo-Katan got to show her use to the covert. She led the the whole pack of retrieving this foundling they were able to get it back safely definitely uh, showed her worth there and on top of that I think the biggest part of this episode and why I ranked this so high is that we got to see a little bit of Grogu's past it was touched on we got to see a little bit after what happened in Order 66 and how Grogu escaped where he was and other Jedi's for example Keller and Beck came into play and I'm sure he's gonna come into play later on as this series moves forward and so it's cool to start seeing a little bit of a backstory from Grogu where we really haven't gotten a whole lot of that to this point and I think that's going to be huge going forward and that reason it ranked as high as it did so number uh, four for me I put episode four go ahead and do your number three yeah man number three I put episode five which is where you had the pirates attacking Navarro so I thought it was sick I thought it was badass with uh, Gorian Shard. Is that his name? Did I get it right this time? You got it. Yeah. Finally got a name right. About time, man. But uh, I thought it was badass. You know, I've always loved Pirates of the Caribbean. So what's better? Pirates in space. It was fucking sick. So I put episode five as number three. What's your number three, man? 
Yeah, we, we agree again. I put uh, number three as episode five, the battle for Navarro. A lot of cool things that you had mentioned. You know, they had a really great time uh, battling these guys. I thought it was really cool when Paz Vizsla ended up holding down the fort, taking out his machine blaster, and just blasting these things so they could move forward into the city. Thought that was pretty cool. Then we also have the aerial flight above with Dinjar and Bo-Katan trying to distract Gordon Shard, and they end up taking out all the pirates. Again, we don't know if. Gordon Shard's gone for good. We didn't see the body, so who knows? But also, his first lieutenant, Vane, ended up taking off, so he's definitely still around. But they were able to take Navarro back. I just thought it was a lot of cool action. Uh, you know, Grief Karga got to play a little bit of a role in coming back and, and getting them to surrender, the pirates, that is. And so, yeah, I just thought it was, it was filled with action. It was fun to watch, and it was definitely integral to uh, what happened going forward because because of that they were given the Mandalorians were given a, a place on Navarro for as long as they wanted as a stronghold until they rebuild their planet Mandalore. So thought that was really cool, and you know those are the reasons why I put Episode Five as my number third ranking. What's your number two ranking? Yeah, man, number two I put Episode Seven. It was a badass episode, man. It was kind of like. You know, it was really tough to kind of choose my top two here, but it was awesome. You had that big kind of sacrifice at the end, and this is where, you know, we've kind of been hearing about Moff Gideon all through this season, but he finally made his appearance, and we weren't sure if he was actually going to do it this season. So, and you had like the Mandalore, like, kind of square off finally, which was fucking sick. Uh, so I put it as number two on the list. What about your number two, Jay Nilly? Yeah, we flipped this one, I think. Uh, I think we got the, the flip-flop on it. But for me, I put episode 8 as my number 2 ranking. And this is like the conclusion to the battle for Mandalore. And I just I liked some things about the other one a little bit better I'll get into when I talk about my number 1. But I did think there was a lot of great things about episode 8. It was very action-packed. Uh, the whole entire episode, kind of on the edge of your seat. What's going to happen here? You have in the, uh, Bo-Katan, Din Djarin fighting... Uh, Moff Gideon, who's back, he's got this crazy suit, this dark saber gets crushed, it's a whole mess, you don't really know uh, what's going to happen there going forward, and he gets blown up by Axe Woes when he throws the damn ship in the in the center of Moff Gideon's stronghold, I guess I can call it, but you didn't even see the, the old clones that Moff Gideon was making and saying how he just needs a force to complete these things, make them perfect, so you're like, ah, shit, what's going to happen here, and you know, it was just a lot, it was a lot of fun, and it was intense. A lot of fun action, cool battle sequences. Choreography was sick, and you know, just it was a great way to end this season three of The Mandalorian. Even towards the end, where he agrees to be a contractor for hire, almost doing the bounty hunter things, almost come full circle, being a bounty hunter again on, on contracts he chooses, so that way he can earn some damn credits, you know? <laughs> you gotta get paid, man! Uh, and, and I also liked how at the very end it almost symbolized peace for now, where he's chilling at that place in Navarro that Grief Karga gave him, his feet up on the porch, and Grogu's playing with a little frog at the end there, thought that was pretty cool, so... You know, I, I ranked it pretty high, and if another episode didn't exist, I probably would have gotten my number one spot. But uh, number two for me goes to episode eight. What's your number one spot, man? Number one, man. I'm pretty sure we know where this was going, but episode eight, the finale. I'm a sucker for badass action scenes. I thought it was fucking sick. Grogu saved the fucking day because every time I look over, Dinjarin's on his ass again. Every single time, either Bo-Katan's got to save him or his own apprentice has got to save his ass. And that's exactly what happened. The whole place blew up. We saw fucking, 
Uh, Moff Gideon get cremated right in front of our fucking eyes, but Grogu saved the damn day because you know what he did? He used the fucking force. Use the fucking force, man. But the whole shield over there is like, oh, it was fucking sick. It was badass. Saved the whole area. If it wasn't for Grogu, that'd be the end of Mandalorian. That's for damn sure. And uh, uh, that's why I had to give it number one, just because Grogu's the fucking man. And uh, that's all that needs to be said there. What about your number one, Jay Nelly? <laughs> number one for me is episode seven. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool because we got to see some of the surviving Mandalorians on that planet. That They were pulled along this sailboat-looking ship. Couldn't even fly. <laughs> Literally looked like they were just rolling it all around. Uh, it's like it had skis on it. It was interesting. It was really cool to see they survived as long as they did after it was thought that the whole planet was uninhabitable. So they were... Who knows how long that these Mandalorians were surviving on it? And you have all the cool action that comes with it when the whole when they're trying to find the Great Forge and they realize that they were lured into trap by these Imperial Commando troopers. And you have uh, the the really fucking sick sequence where it, it reminds you of Phantom Menace when the walls go up and go down and and you know people get caught in certain things. And you know towards the end of that episode. It's Din Djarin, and he's basically, him and two others are against all these commando troopers, and they take out the other ones, and it's just him, and he's doing his best, and they end up capturing him, and they start taking him away. Basically, Moff Gideon tells Bo-Katan, hey, give me that damn Darksaber. She says, nah, she cuts a hole in the thing and allows her people to escape from the back way, and while that's going on, and they try to uh, storm that room, Pazbaza makes the ultimate sacrifice, just starts mowing them down. Actually ends up killing every single Imperial Commando Trooper that was in that area. Uh, if it wasn't with the, after his machine gun blaster overloaded or over, like overheated, he dropped that, took him out hand-to-hand combat. It killed everyone. He was taking hits along the way, still standing. Then those three Praetorian guards in red came out, and he just had nothing left. And they basically executed him, executioner style, man. Like, took his ass out. And the scene kind of, the whole episode kind of ends with Bazbaz's body dropping. And I thought that was intense. That was fucking cool. It was almost as, as the, uh, yeah, we call it the Empire Strikes Back of this season. You know, like the bad guy. You didn't know what's going to happen. The bad guys looked like they had the upper hand. And so it was really cool. So for me, episode seven took the number one spot. And just to go ahead and run through the rankings one more time before we move to the next category, for myself, uh, my number eight was episode three, number seven, episode two, number six, episode six, number five, episode one, number four, episode four, number three, episode five, number two, episode eight, and my number one spot goes to episode seven. Chase, run through your eight through one. Episode three, I have number eight. So number eight, episode three. Number seven, episode one. Number six, episode four. Number five, episode six. Number four, episode two. Number three, episode five. Number two, episode seven. And number one, the finale, episode eight. Heck yeah, man. All right, let's move on into our next category. For the next category, we're going to rank our top five favorite monsters or creatures found. Not just specifically monsters, but monsters and or creatures that are found in Season 3 specifically of The Mandalorian. And since Chase kicked us off with that last ranking category, I will go ahead and kick us off with this one. For number five, 
I put that raptor pterodactyl thingy. They call it a reptavian. I uh, thought that was kind of interesting, and since it was a female, I call it the mother since it was feeding those children. So, you know, that reptavian mother there, I put her as my number five just because... Uh, number one, I, I thought there was a lot of other cooler monsters, and she only lasted not that long. But I will say that Reptavian did give them fits for a long time, if we're just to kind of go by the number of Mandalorian, like dead Mandalorian armor pieces that were in that nest. So that thing was taking people, they, they could never track it down because their jets packs always ran out of fuel by the time they could get to her. And so then it didn't look the coolest, but it was interesting enough. Uh, and, and, you know, I think Chase said it best one time when we were discussing what this kind of looked like. They look like the baby dinosaurs off of one of those old shows in the 90s. Um, <laughs> the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, man. It was just a, you know, so it was cool. It gave the Mandalorians enough problems to get my respect, but didn't get any higher than number five. So number five for me was the Reptavian Mother or that Raptor Pterodactyl thing, whatever the hell you want to call it. But uh, that's my number five. Go to your number five, man. That's a good one, man. A lot of people are going to give me some shit for this one. But I could not rank it any higher because I thought it was kind of dumb. We even saw it in this season. Number five, the Mythosaur. I don't even know why we saw that shit. You're so so disrespectful, bro. You're so disrespectful. (laughs) Such a waste of fucking time. We saw it for like two seconds and it was brought up as a legend and we never fucking saw it again. But because it means so much to the Mandalorian Creed, I did put it in my top five, but I would not give it one ranking higher. And that's all it fucking deserves. And that's being generous. And that was my number five. Yo, that's so fucking crazy. You're, you're, you're wild for that one, man. But in any <laughs> event, I'm going to go on to my number four ranking. And I ranked the Trinitar number four. This Trinitar is the... Uh, monster that you see in episode 7 it's when they try to get to the great forge and all of a sudden this dinosaur explodes from the earth and it's got that club tail it comes down swinging and it destroys that ship but it doesn't really make much more of an impact from there they're able to get away from it it's not a big battle I thought there was going to be a huge battle but the thing visually looked sick so I, I thought that was really cool and just wonder what all the, what all the planet Mandalore has on it with these creatures, dude. They're fucking cool. Obviously, you know, Chase had mentioned the Mythosaur already. They've got, like, this new Trinitar thing. They have something else that I'm going to list down the road in the rankings here for my favorite monsters creatures. But in any event, it looked like one of the really cool old school dinosaurs that you would see that uh you know i don't know if you guys ever watched land before time but they had a dinosaur very similar in that they had a tail with those like three on and swinging the tail around like a club thought it was cool so number four for me went to the trinitar what's your number four number four one you mentioned already the reptil reptavian mother is what they call it that pterodactyl fucking thing just like on power rangers man if you ever watched power rangers you had the pink ranger that's like pterodactyl tyrannosaurus it was like a combination of the fucking two man it was fucking sick they picked that fucking little kid up was trying to feed it to its children in the nest they was taking grapple hooks to take that motherfucker down with missiles tackling in midair by dinjarin it was fucking badass dude so Number four, the Reptavian Mother. I feel like that should be on a fucking Resident Evil game, like House of the Dead. Reptavian Mother, edition two. Fucking sick. What's your number three, man? 
Number three for me, I put the Angelans because they were able to create a lot of cool things and, and fix a lot of stuff. And they're renowned for their ability to work on droids and bots. And I, I also thought it was really funny. They're comical as well. They're very, very small. And, you know, Grogu's a, a baby. And they Grogu kind of towers over these little things. And Grogu tries to give them hugs. And they're like, no, bad baby, bad baby. <laughs> they're fucking hilarious. But they're also really respected because they're able. no, no one's able to work droids the way they are. And they were able to turn IG... 11 and IG-12 and allow Grogu to be able to operate it that way and just working on a bunch of other stuff too. It was really cool, man. And they're, they remind me a lot of the Lorax, the small things. They got the mustache, the little handlebar mustache, the curls at the at tips at the tips there. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I thought they were pretty cool. They were enough to catch my number three spot, the Angelans. Uh, what about you, brother? Number three, I put the cave trolls. There's a troll in the mines. Troll in the Mandalorian mines. These things look interesting. They weren't like your typical troll like we see in Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. They looked almost like uh, like the Yeti or something that were down there with glowing eyes. And they whipped my boy Oberyn Martell's ass. Bo-Katan had to go in there and save the day again. So, yeah, number three to the cave troll, man. Uh, back to you, Jay Nelly. Yeah, number two for me, I went with the dino turtle, mainly because this thing was fucking these Mandalorians up. If Din Djarin didn't come to save the day with his ship and smack into it and throw some blasters from the sky, who knows how many things this would have taken out. On top of the fact, I've never seen a creature look like this. It looked like a straight-up dinosaur with a turtle shell on it, but it came out of the water. It was awesome. It was so fucking cool. thought it was a really badass, and on it's coupled with the fact that it was powerful as all hell. Killed a few of these things in the very first episode. Hell yeah, man. Uh, the only reason they didn't get any higher is because there's just one creature that's a, that's means a lot more to the series overall. But yeah, for, for me, for season three... My number two ranking went to the Dino Turtle. What about for you? Number two goes to the Cyborg Spider, actually, with that alien operating inside it, actually. So uh, that was the episode very similar to the Cave Trolls. We saw them in the same episode. That's the one where Bo-Katan had to take her dark saber and cut its head off. And kind of you had that ridiculous-ass excuse on that's how she got the dark saber was because it was taken from ninjarin because this thing kidnapped it but it was cool man it was kind of like transformers style uh but had a little surprise inside that had the alien with the electro staff so number two i put the cyborg spider and the alien operating in it back to you jay nelly all right yeah so for my number one spot here in our top five monsters and creatures found in season three of the mandalorian i put the Mythosaur. All right, this thing is intense. You can't even fathom the size of it. When it opened its eyes there in episode two, I feel like the eye itself was the size of Bo-Katan. You saw the tusk that came down from it. You don't want to fuck with this thing. Who knows how long it's been there? It's a thing of legend. The, the, the ancient Mandalore rode it, tamed it, and it's on all of their emblems. They, they worshipped this creature, and, and then it shows its face again at the very end when Grogu puts his hand in the water, and you're like, oh, and shit, what's going to happen now? This mythosaur is going to play a huge role going forward for the civilization. And like I said, it, the thing is massive. There's a lot of secrets still. It's hiding, and it's just waiting for the right time to make its presence known, but that doesn't take away from why it gets the number one ranking spot here in Season 3 for the top 
number one for Jay Nelly. Monster creatures found in season three of The Mandalorian. What's your number one? Shout out to the Mythosaur for Jay Nelly being so generous. Because it absolutely... I was being generous by even putting it on the list, sir. By even putting it on the list. My number one goes to the Dinosaur Turtle. Like you were saying... It was fucking badass. They were shooting missiles of it on the beach. It had that fucking tortoise shell on the back. But it was like on the swamp beachside thing. Just fucking shit up. Like it was like a combination of like a bad version of the Hulk with a shell on the back. As if the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles took a crossover with the fucking uh, high evolutionary from guardians of the fucking galaxy and step in that fucking tank and that's what you get baby so it's badass number one goes to the dino turtle fuck yeah all right let's go ahead and run through our five through one of the top five monsters or creatures myself number five went to the reptavian raptor pterodactyl thing number four to the trinitar number three to the angelans number two to the dino turtle number one the greatest monster creature of all the mythosaur what's your five through one respect but very sad (laughs) very sad anyways number five i gave the generous respect it deserved to the mythosaur that stayed in the ocean and cowered away the entire season number four we got the fucking aggressive reptavian mother that wasn't afraid of shit that kidnapped the little children and fed him to her children and then we have number three the cave trolls in the mines the cave trolls in the mines number two the cyborg spider that even optimus prime himself would fucking fear that took the dark saber to cut its head off And then number one, straight out from the 90s Disney Channel, the Dino Turtle, baby. Let's fucking go. Back to you, Jay Nelly. All right. We're going to jump into our next uh, category for rankings today. We're going to go into our top five weapons that are used in season three of The Mandalorian. I kicked off that last ranking, Chase. You start this one. What's your number five, top five weapons here found in season three of The Mandalorian? Number five, baby. It's not one a lot of people think about because it's not very flashy, but it's used a fucking lot, and that's the grapple, baby. They use this shit all the time. Used it to take down those reptilian, reptavian mothers, whatever they're fucking called. Used it to try to take down... Moff Gideon, why try to tie him up? Why they flamethrower his ass? You know the grapple. I'll gotta say, a lot of people don't think about the grapple a lot. I remember using it when I used to play Orcarina of Time from Zelda years ago. That shit is effective, and people don't think about that a lot. And they use it all the time in the Mandalorian. So I gotta give respect where respect is due. Number five, the grapple. What about your number five, Jay Nelly? Number five for me. You mentioned it in passing in your little soliloquy about the grapple, but the Mandalorian flamethrowers. The Mandalorian flamethrowers hit number five for me because they just look cool, almost like Buzz Lightyear when he used to press his little button on his wrist and the laser shot out, except just fucking fire. Fucking put some fire on their ass, like 
burning shit, helps him out in hand-to-hand -hand combat, just looks cool. You see these guys in all the great Beskar armor, and all of a sudden, boom, they got some fire coming out of their wrists. It's sick. This shit is sick. All right, so that hit my number five ranking for top five weapons found in Season 3, the Mandalorian Flamethrower. Go to your number four. Number four. It I couldn't rank it any higher because... Basically, it was pointless the entire season. Number four, the only thing we get to see similar to a lightsaber in this series, the Darksaber, baby. You know, it kept being rotated hand-to-hand -hand from Bo-Katan to Din Djarin to Din Djarin back to Bo-Katan. And then at the end, it got crushed when it was in the hands of its original owner, Ma-fucking-Gideon, the big daddy himself of the Darksaber. But, you know, it was fucking cool, man. It was cool to see. It was cool to see it go back and forth, uh, you know, blow for blow against that dual electric staff that Moff Gideon had. So I put it at number four on my list. What's your uh, next one, Jay Nelly? Number four for me goes to the Armorous Forge Hammer. And the reason why I put this as number four is the armor was showing her worth in battle. She was swinging that thing, cracking on some skulls. It reminded me a lot. Uh, if you ever read the Aragon series, Roaring, Strong Hammer, and taking down some Urgles, smacking them upside the head. That's what this armor's forge hammer looked like to me. She's going to town in the battle. No one wanted to mess with her. Even on Navarro, taking the pirates out from behind. Then they had the awesome collision in midair, and she's swinging that thing and knocking people for a fucking loop. All those reasons are why the Armor's Forge Hammer hits my number four spot. What's your number three? Number three, you gave credit to it already? The Flamethrower, man. It, it's fucking sick. You know, they use it to light people on fire. I feel like it's a signature move of the Mandalorian. Like, it's a signature move. They always use that shit just like Jango Fett used to do in the uh, prequels. It was badass. Fucking awesome. So number three, I shouldn't have to say much more for it. It deserves its spot. I gave it to the flamethrower. Back to you, Jay Nelly. Number three for me goes to the Electro Staff, but specifically the dual-sided Electro Staff that Moff Gideon was using. Reminded me a lot of Darth Maul with a double-sided lightsaber. All that sick, cool maneuvers he was doing. That's what I was talking about. The choreography was nasty, man. It was good. They were having to battle out and... It was just, uh, it was something that you only saw the Moff Gideon wield a double side. Even these Praetorian guards had just regular electro staffs, and they were fucking shit up as it was. Moff Gideon's like, well, just hold my beer and, and take a look at this other side. It's the same side. <laughs> Swinging that thing around, taking some fuckers out. It was fucking cool. Don't get to see anything like that too often. The electro staff, that hit my number three ranking here for my top five. Favorite weapons found in season three of The Mandalorian. What's your number two? Great minds think alike, man. I put it at number two just a little higher. The specific double-sided electro staff of Moff Gideon. And just like you said, it reminded me a lot of Darth Maul, man. Especially like how you mentioned before and like passing gave it a little bit of credit where they had those... Uh, barriers there that were the red laser barriers it kind of gave homage to that in episode one so it's fucking awesome man and uh, no one else deserved to wield a fucking double-sided staff like that so back to you Jay Nelly 
My number two spot goes to the Darksaber. Now, the Darksaber, say what you want about it. That thing still cuts holes through these steel reinforced doors that are unopenable. On top of that, it's going head to head with this double side electro staff. It looks cool visually. It's got, it's almost the exact antithesis to a lightsaber where it's dark on the inside with a, a white glowing light on the outside where the lightsaber is the exact opposite. It's like light glowing inside with the color around the outside. So it just, it, it really lives up to its name. Uh, like you said there are many people who wielded it and each one of those individuals who have wielded the dark saber have a really cool moment with it utilizing it in in one of its many fashions so for me that hit the number two spot the dark saber what's your number one number one man i thought this was fucking cool it wasn't as much of a attack weapon but the fucking laser shield that Bo-Katan used baby it was fucking awesome she would turn that shit on it would block what was ever in her path fucking stopping it it reminded me of Geralt from the witcher there's a fucking you know foreshadow for you coming up on the show <laughs> but it was badass dude it was sick uh it, it was very interesting seeing a mandalorian use a shield so i thought it was fucking awesome it wasn't as flashy as some of the other offensive weapons but you know, a lot of people overlook the defensive weapons, and uh, that's still a weapon for this category. So I gave the laser shield from Bo-Katan my number one spot, baby. Let's fucking go. Back to you, Jay Nelly. <laughs> Guessing in Chase's mind, defense wins championships. But uh, the number crazy. one yes, spot sir. for me goes to Paz Vizsla's machine gun blaster. Man, it had some cool-ass moments in this season when we were in Navarro and he was shooting down those pirates, giving cover for his people to get into position to get, you know, get those pirates out of that damn city. And then when he gets, he has that hero moment where he decides he's going to sacrifice himself and he's blowing this thing fucking until the core of it is heat. You can see it's glowing red. It's about to just melt in his hands and it ends up overheating. He can no longer use it. But man, when he was using, he was mowing down those Imperial Commando Troopers. They were dropping like flies. That thing was sick. And, you know, on top of that, he gave up his life uh, just to take out as many as he can. And without that machine gun blaster, I don't think it would have been as many. So for that reason, Paz Vizzle's machine gun blaster hit my number one spot in my top five favorite weapons. And what we'll do here is we'll just go back through it real quick for myself. In the top five weapons going five through one, number five, I put the Mandalorian Flamethrowers. Number four, the Armorer's Forge Hammer. Number three, the Double-Sided Electro Staff. Number two, the Dark Saber. And number one, Paz Vizsla's Machine Gun Blaster. Chase, take it five through one. Number five, I got the Grapple. Number four, the Dark Saber. Number three, the Flamethrower. Number two, specifically the double-sided Electro Staff of Moff Gideon. And number one, Bo-Katan's Laser Shield. All right. We're going to move into our next ranked category. We are going to rank the top five quotes we found in Season 3. And since Chase went ahead and started off on that one, I'll go ahead and kick us off here. My number five ranked quote from Season 3 of The Mandalorian is found in episode six. It's from Commissioner Hellgate. 
He is that cameo that you know we could get from the old Back to the Future Doctor. He says, Count Dooku was a visionary. Reason why I like this quote was because it gave a little bit of homage to the prequels and what we saw, you know, as we were growing up. Like this was Chase and I's childhood watching, you know, episode one, The Phantom Menace, episode two, Attack of the Clones, episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Like it was sick. So I thought it was really cool to bring back something, you know, because they considered Commissioner Hellgate considered Count Dooku a separatist. He considered himself a separatist, and you know, it's just one of those strange. I didn't say. Uh, off the wall characters, but Count Dooku is not one that comes to mind often. Like, it's, it's something you can you, know, you readily think of when you think of characters in Star Wars. So, I thought it was really cool that Commissioner Hellgate really kind of threw that homage to uh, Count Dooku. So, that was my number five ranked quote. What's your number five ranked quote? Number five. This one might uh, surprise some people. So, it's from Grief Karga, and he says, after she. Uh, brought in Moff Gideon, she was recruited by special forces. And the reason that's my number five is because it explains what happened to Cara Dune. You know, everyone knows Jane Ellie and I have talked about it on the show. You know, she, we won't go into details, but is no longer in the Mandalorian show, was forced to leave. And they were figuring out how they were going to, you know, solve that issue. And just like Jane Ellie said on the show, quick writer's trick <laughs> they just put in a little sentence there and boom uh season's good to go man so that was my number five what's your next one Janelli? yeah number four for me it comes from episode seven moff gideon says it and he says in but a few moments the purge of mandalore will be complete and the reason why i put that there at number four is he was awfully close to finally getting rid of all these Mandalorians like he's been trying to do for so damn long. These things have about killed him, put him in prison, all these things, and he's about to finish what he started with the Purge of Mandalore. Obviously, it never came to pass, but in that moment when he said it, it resonated with me like, oh, shit, it's about to happen. So uh, I thought that was really cool, and for that reason, that's what gave it the number four ranked quote in my top five ranked quotes. So what's your number four? Yeah, man. Number four, I have Din Djarin saying, you had me at battle, droids. And the reason I like this one is because I, I you know, it kind of reminds me of all, one, the cameos that were just so outlandish in this episode. But I really like that scene with the droid bar where, you know, they're taking shots of oil <laughs> and they're funneling oil with oil funnels. So I thought it was badass, man. So that was my number four. Back to you, Jay Nelly. Yeah, going into number three, my number three rank quote is also found in episode seven, just like my last quote, but it's actually from Bo-Katan, and she's talking to Moff Gideon, and she says, I should have killed you when I had the chance. And the reason why this resonated with me is like, damn, she's probably right. If she would have just killed this motherfucker back in season two, we wouldn't be here about to destroy the rest of their civilization. Paz Vizsla would still be alive. They wouldn't be having all these dang problems. They already were a weakened community as it is, and they lost who knows how many in this damn battle against these Imperial Commando droids, Moff Gideon himself, and these Praetorian guards that he has. So, yeah, no shit, you probably should have killed him when you had the chance. You knew what he was capable of. You let him survive to go face justice, quote-unquote, and he ends up getting broken out of that prison ship, and here we are. So that is the reason why that quote hit the number three spot for me. What's your number three? Number three for me, 
I got uh, Din Djarin saying, hang on, kid. We got pirates. And I just thought it was fucking badass. I've always been a Pirates of the Caribbean fan. So, you know, like a pirate's life for me. So it was just a badass kind of iconic quote there. So that was my number three. What's your next one, Jane Nelly? Yeah, moving into number two. We're getting into the good stuff now. And my number two ranked quote is from episode five. And it's a dialogue between Grief Karga and Din Djarin, and I thought this was really cool because Grief Karga says, Be careful, my friend. They've got you outnumbered 10 to 1. And Din Djarin replies, I like those odds. And Grief Karga responds, I bet you do. And I thought that was just badass. He doesn't care what the odds are. He's got that ultimate confidence in himself that he's going to come out on top. He's like, give me the bad odds. I don't give a fuck. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I was <laughs> born for this. I came out the womb ready. Let's do it. And you know, end up getting it done. End up taking them pirates out, kick their ass. So yeah, man, I thought that was really cool, and that's why I hit the number two spot in my top five quotes. What's your number two? Yeah, man, number two is actually from Bo-Katan in the last episode. There, she says, "Mandalorians are stronger together." And at this moment, you know, Din Djarin enters. He's firing away at Moff Gideon like, "I got you, motherfucker!" And here we go. And then still, Moff Gideon starts kind of trying to kick their ass. But it's badass. It was an iconic quote. Kind of reminded me of if someone was in front of the mirror. Like, you know, she fucking practiced that shit. Like, she was probably thinking, I was born at night, but not last night. And then she fucked it up. She's like, I was born in the morning. Oh, fuck. Let me say it again. So, yeah, she said, Mandalorians are stronger together. But, you know, she fucked that up probably a few times when practicing in the mirror before she ended entered that command center room to take on Mop Gideon himself, baby. It was fucking sick. Uh, so I put that as my number two. What's your number one, Jay Nelly? My number one quote is found in episode five, and I just thought this was sick. It's from Captain Tavo, and the reason why I found it sick, it's the biggest four fucking shadow of the entire series, probably. This is Captain Tavo talking to Colonel Tuttle back in episode five. He says, There's something dangerous happening out there. All these events, it's not a coincidence. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. Like, damn, bro, if that was not a foreshadow about what's to come, if the New Republic doesn't get its head out of its ass, the, the Imperials are coming back, the Empire is coming back, we're going to start like some bad shit happening all over again. And he warned him. And so that's the reason why that hit my number one spot. What's your number one spot? Yeah, man, number one, this is a badass quote from Moff Gideon, the fucking badass he is. He says, after he crushes the Darksaber, which ironically, full circle, he was the original wielder of, looks at Bo-Katan, the rightful wielder at the time, and says, the Darksaber is gone. You've lost everything. Mandalorians are weak once they lose their trinkets. And it was badass, man. It was fucking sick. Shows the fucking badass villain he is and why he deserves to be our main antagonist of this season. It was fucking sick. That was my number one. You want to go through all yours, Jane Ellie? Yeah, man. I'll start here at the top with number five. It's found in episode six from Commissioner Hellgate. He says, Count Dooku was a visionary. Going into number four, found in episode seven, said by Moff Gideon. He says, in but a few moments... The Purge of Mandalore will be complete. Moving to number three, also found in episode seven, said by Bo-Katan, she says, 
I should have killed you when I had the chance. Speaking to Moff Gideon. Number two, found episode five. It's a little dialogue between Grief Karga and Din Djarin. Grief Karga says, be careful, my friend. They've got you outnumbered ten to one. Din Djarin replies, I like those odds. And Grief Karga responds, I bet you do. And then going into my number one quote, found in episode five from Captain Teva speaking to Colonel Tuttle. He says, there's something dangerous happening out there. All these events, it's not a coincidence. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. And that's my list five through one. Chase, go through your list five through one. Number five, I have Grief Karga saying, after she brought in Moff Gideon, she was recruited by special forces. Number four, I have Din Djarin saying, you had me at battle droids. Number three, Din Djarin saying, hang on, kid, we got pirates. Number two, I got Bo-Katan saying Mandalorians are stronger together as she enters the room against Moff Gideon. And number one, Moff Gideon against Bo-Katan, crushing the Darksaber, saying the Darksaber is gone. You've lost everything. Mandalorians are weak once they lose their trinkets. Fuck yeah. Heck yeah, man. All right, we're going to move into our final ranking category of the day, our top five moments found in this season, season three of The Mandalorian. I went first last time. Chase, go ahead and take it away with your number five favorite moment. Yeah, man, this one isn't thought of much, but number five, I got, remember Ragnar, he was the foundling that was kidnapped by the pterodactyl thing, the Reptavian mother. And uh, then you had Grogu, but this was at the beginning of that episode where he was kidnapped, and him and Grogu are playing the dark game. And then Grogu was losing uh, two to nothing at the time, and then wins by doing like a backflip with the force and hits all three darts in a row, winning the game, showing the force he has and the abilities where he was being overlooked. And I thought it was cool. It reminded me a lot of The Witcher when they played the knife game with our boy Tormund from Game of Thrones. It's fucking sick. Uh, so I put number five when Ragnar and Grogu play the dark game and Grogu wins. What's your number five, man? Number five for me is when Elia Kane cranks the voltage all the way up on the mind flaying machine attached to Dr. Pershing. The reason why is because I don't know what it signifies. Like, and how is that going to affect things going forward? Is this just a play to get the Doctor to turn against the New Republic who promised the Doctor that it wasn't going to hurt and it wasn't going to affect him that much? Or was she trying to actually erase his mind so some things that he knew he no longer knows and can't be questioned? Like, I just, there's so many different things this could signify. So that's why it hit the number five moment for me just because there, there's a couple different avenues this could go. But go ahead and tackle your number four. Number four, I got the Mandalorian saved Navarro from pirates. I thought it was fucking awesome. They went in and saved the day. It was fucking great. You know, I'm a big pirate guy, and uh, nothing better than some fucking creeds busting in there, whooping some ass. <laughs> so it was fucking badass, man. I put that as my number four. What about yours, Jay Nelly? Yeah, number four for me was when Bo-Katan 
sees the legendary mythosaur that hasn't been seen for a thousand years. She goes underneath those waters to save Din Djarin, picks him up, and as she's about to go back, she sees this creature, and the size and the enormity of it is insane, and all it does is open one eye, and, and you see the little outline of the tusk there, and it's, you know, imagine just seeing that. Imagine being down there, and you're, you know, your only focus is trying to save your friend, and all of a sudden, you see this creature that's supposed to be legend. It's supposed to be a myth. Literally, its name is Myth, Mythosaur, you know what I mean? Like, so to find out that that thing do, did in fact exist and still does exist was fucking cool. And that's why I hit the number four spot for me on my favorite moments. What's your number three? Number three was that fucking dinosaur turtle showed up on the area, the beach there, and fucking the Mandalorians were shooting missiles trying to fight that fucking thing. That thing was badass, man. Like I said before earlier in the show, if the Ninja Turtles got put inside the High Evolutionary from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, that tunnel there, and he turned the fucking poison on, that's what that shit would be. It was fucking awesome. That was my number three. What's your next one, Jay Nelly? Number three for me was when we got to see a quick glimpse into Grogu's past. Like how he survived Order 66 and we got to see that other badass Jedi, Keller and Beck. And what kind of can go forward with that? Are we going to see him play a role in this series going forward? Does he ever come up again? And, and now that we're starting to see flashbacks of Grogu's past, what other flashbacks are we going to see? Are we going to see a timeline of events from when Grogu had this happen in Order 66 to where he's found by Din Djarin? Who knows? But I think it was really cool to start getting a little bit of a backstory in Grogu, and that's why it hit the number three spot for me. Now we'll go into your number two, brother. Number two, I got the Mandalorian army fights Gideon's troops midair. It was fucking awesome, man. It kind of reminded me of, like, Lord of the Rings. Like, remember when in Return of the King, they're about to collide against the Nazgul and the orcs? And it was, like, dead silent as the horses were, like, trotting there and then collide? Well, this was that shit, but in midair with fucking jetpacks. It was fucking sick, man. It was badass. So for that, just for that specific action scene, it was fucking awesome. I gave it number two, man. What's your next one, Jay Nelly? Yeah, this is where our, our minds linked up again. Uh, number two for me was the moment when the Mandalorian reinforcements show up and collide in midair with, head on with the Imperial Commando Troopers. It was super fucking badass. And just to give another uh, comparison, think about the Battle of Bastards in Game of Thrones and the horses just boom hit each other and it was just like a stalemate pop, things popping off on there it was just insanity it was one of the coolest battle scenes that we see in the season these things are basically the equivalent of what Mandalorians are they got the best scar armor dark troopers were already more powerful than regular troopers as it was now they got the, the whole, the, you know, the, what makes Mandalorian strong in a way is this Beskar armor on, and it makes it a lot harder. It's, they're basically fighting each other in a way. It's just the the evil versions of themselves, I, I guess I can say. I mean, so I just thought that was sick, and, you know, just the whole fact that the reinforcements show up just at the right time, and because it didn't look like it, looked like it was going to be a mismatch, it looked like these Imperial Commando Troopers were going to just mollywop the fuck out of Bo-Katan and the remaining few, then the reinforcements get there just in time, the armor, everyone just, boom, and it's just an instant collision in midair, and it was badass, man, so that's why it hit the number two spot for me. Uh, what hit your top spot for your favorite moments? 
Top spot, man. This was fucking sick. The explosion goes off with Moff Gideon, Din Djarin, and Bo-Katan. And Grogu's there to fucking save the day with the Force, baby. He puts together that Force shield because, you know, Din Djarin and fucking Bo-Katan were getting their ass handed to them by Moff Gideon. And we see Moff Gideon get his ass cremated alive. Cremated alive. And just like Obi-Wan said, use the Force. But with Grogu showing all his skill from what he learned with Luke fucking Skywalker, baby, showed he is the MB fucking P. Save the day. Let's fucking go. Took my fucking top spot, baby. What's your top spot, Jay Nelly? Top spot for me was Paz Vizsla's sacrifice. I thought that moment on scene was sick. And maybe I'm a little bit biased because I know Chase brought up Lord of the Rings earlier. I'll do the same here. You know, one of my favorite moments in that entire series when Boromir went down underneath a bunch of arrows from the uh, from the orcs, and he was still cutting them bitch asses down while he was injured. Almost the same exact thing, except a little futuristic and in space. So I thought that was badass. He's sitting there mowing him down with that machine gun blaster. Just the thing overheats. He's got a drop, but then he goes hand in combat still takes some fuckers out. And it takes three Praetorian guards to come in after he's already exhausted to finally finish him off. And because of his sacrifice, everyone else got away and was able to come out on top in the end. And without that sacrifice, it might not have ended up like that. And so for that reason, that hit my number one spot in season three of The Mandalorian. It was uh, Paz Vizsla's sacrifice. And just to kind of go through the moments five through one, I'll kick us off here uh, with mine. And number five is when Elia Kane cranked the voltage all the way up on the mind filling machine attached to Dr. Pershing. Number four is when Bo-Katan sees the legendary mythosaur that hasn't been seen for a thousand years. Number three was getting to see a quick glimpse into Grogu's past and how he survived Order 66 and seeing Keller and Beck and our badass Jedi. And then number two, that moment when the Mandalorian reinforcements show up and collide in midair head-on with the Imperial Commando Troopers. And number one for me, Paz Vizsla's sacrifice where he gives everything he's got so everyone else can survive. And that's my five through one. What about yours? Number five, I got Ragnar the Foundling and Grogu play the dart game and Grogu wins showing his ability that's overlooked. Number four, I got the Mandalorian save Navarro from Pirates. Number three, I got the Mandalorians fight the Dino Turtle, baby. Fuck yeah. Number two, I got the Mandalorian army fights Gideon's troops colliding in midair. Just like you got Rohan in the Nazgul, baby. Let's fucking go. And then number one, the MV. P. Grogu saving the day against Moff Gideon and because he was kicking Bo-Katan and Dendron's ass but then the explosion happens in capturing Moff Gideon and Grogu puts that fucking force field up saving the day and that's the only reason we even have our heroes in this fucking show is because Grogu saved the day otherwise there would not be a show so you can thank Grogu for season four coming next year wow man well i mean that did tackle every single ranking that we did have here all these episodes are super fun but man i just can't let us go without throwing this great debate card right fast man had to throw it fast and you guys want to know why because i heard chase saying some crazy shit 
I heard Chase. <laughs> I heard Chase tell me just now that uh, that Grogu was the MVP. So what we're gonna do here is we're gonna debate who we think is the MVP. And I know Chase just mentioned Grogu, but I'm gonna give him the opportunity to really defend that answer. And I'm gonna tell you guys who I think is the MVP. And and we're just gonna go at it for a little bit here, man. So go ahead and explain your MVP for the season. Well, first of all, let me just say there wouldn't be a show without Grogu next year because. Grogu just saved the day on our heroes, and Moff Gideon was whipping that fucking ass. You know what I'm saying? It took even when Grogu was with the droid IG-11, which was becoming IG-12 because he was doing his little puppeteer inside there. Grogu saved Injaran's ass from getting beat down by those Red Trooper guys with the Electro Staff. And then Dinjarin, after Grogu saved his ass, he runs back in there to try to help Bo-Katan out. And they both get their ass kicked until Grogu comes in there, whipping ass again with the Force. And that's what he was doing, showing all his skill, which is why full circle fucking moment from that dark game... Which is why they waited till now to show you he's the only reason we even fucking have this story. That's exactly right. Grogu was also the MVP when Din Djarin got his ass captured by that fucking cyborg spider that even Optimus Prime would be fucking afraid of. Din Djarin was just laying there, and you know what Grogu had to do? He had to fly his ass back and pilot that ship without even learning. Din Djarin never taught him that shit. So he just randomly had to figure out how to autopilot that shit all the way back to Bo-Katan. Plot hole or not, doesn't matter. Fucking figured it out to save the day again. Otherwise, there'd be no dark saver. It'd be down in the fucking mines down there, man. Wouldn't matter anyways. Mandalorians are nothing without their trinkets. So, point being, if it wasn't for Grogu, you wouldn't even have a dark saber. You wouldn't even have our heroes. Grogu came back just to save the day for all this shit. He was over there with the greatest Jedi of all time, Luke Skywalker, last season, and came back because if he didn't come back and go save the save their fucking asses, because every time we turn around, they're on their ass again. Every time I turn around, Obi-Wan Martell's on his fucking ass again. He hasn't stood up like the fucking Viper he was since Game of Thrones, and every time I look over, you're on your ass. Grogu, his fucking apprentice, has to save the day, and had to save the day for Bo-Katan, who should not be their leader, because you know why? Because Grogu's the fucking MVP, because he had to save her ass, so you know what? The Darksaber should go to Grogu, and next time it's restored, hopefully so, Grogu should wield that shit. Grogu should wield that shit. Grogu's the MVP, most valuable player of Mandalorian Season 3. I rest my case. Back to you, Jay Nelly. Talking about that time where Grogu was trapped underneath those bars about to get killed by the Praetorian guards and uh, Din Djarin had to burst through there after Bo-Katan gave him just a second's reprieve and started fighting Moff Gideon and he got there just in time before Grogu's ass was grasped on that Grogu, that one, that little Erroneous! Erroneous on all counts! (laughs) That motherfucking guy? Nah, man, I'm going to tell you guys who the MVP is and it's going to be a little bit off the wall, but follow my train of thought. Because my MVP of Season 3 specifically, not the entire Mandalorian series, but Season 3 specifically, was Axe Woves. And the reason why we're going Axe Woves for MVP is because this guy was chosen as a leader of the damn mercenaries, the Night Owls, for the Mandalorians, and he had to keep their asses safe. Not only was he keeping their asses safe, 
He prospered. He got so many ships in their fleet. That guy was getting all the shit that they needed to make sure that they were a force to be reckoned with. And yes, he did let Bo-Katan win and get the, get the old uh, leadership back. But at the end of the day, she didn't really because all Din Djarin did was hand her the Darksaber. So fuck that shit. But then go, let's just go ahead and move on from that. Let's just move on from that. That was that was one of the, when we get back together with the old children of the watch and the night owls they come together we had that moment of tension because you see Paz Vizsla who's one of the the all-time warriors here for the, the the children of the watch and he was the only the one that stood up to him I asked what was the only one that stood up to Paz Vizsla they had their own little battle going on they fought to a standstill and we saw what Paz Vizsla did to those Imperial Commando troopers he mowed those fuckers down so now not even explaining the fact that Axwell was at that point in time when they were getting their asses fucking handed to him. Their ass was about to be grass. They figured out that he had to escape through the hole in the ceiling to go get reinforcements. And if he doesn't do his job right, everyone's dead already. So if he never went back and got these reinforcements, we're not even having this conversation because we've never even had that really badass moment where the reinforcements come in and they collide in midair. Never would have happened because if Axwell didn't get there, they wouldn't have known. Then all of a sudden these TIE Fighters that Moff Gideon sent up would have destroyed them, taken them by surprise. Everyone would have been toast. I'm talking the ground fighters and the aerial fighters. Everyone's dead. So Axwell gets up there, gets them onto those ships, says, Get your ass down there, help out the ground troops. They need some help. I'm going to stay up here and be a distraction. Do is ready to sacrifice himself. He's sitting there taking shot after shot in the big command ship. All these TIE fighters are confused because they thought they were going to take him by surprise. But no, he got there first, got their asses out of there. And then, because of these TIE fighters, did end up destroying that command ship. This dude stayed in there to the last possible minute to make sure that that command ship was going to destroy the stronghold that Moff Gideon built there on planet Mandalore. He ended up zooming out at the very last second, making sure that it was going to fall directly in the center and destroy the entire area, which erupted into flames that did take out. We don't know if he's dead yet because we didn't see the body, but with, you know who knows what's going to happen. But the flames did engulf Moff Gideon. All right, They did engulf him. He's the one that stopped Moff Gideon. It wasn't fucking Bo-Katan. It wasn't fucking Din Djarin, And it sure as fuck wasn't Grogu who stopped Moff Gideon in Season 3. It was Axe Woves making sure that ship landed where it needed to land. And that is why he is the MVP. And I rest my case. Absolutely disagree with you. Because everything you said was absolutely erroneous. Because it could have been on fucking autopilot. He jumped out the window. He jumped out the window, man. He jumped out the window, and then it was on autopilot. Anyone could have done that job. In he fact, had to steer probably, it to the right spot. He probably volunteered because he was afraid to be on the battlefield. He told his fucking troops to leave to go to the battlefield so he could cower away by himself. Cower away? There was five, six ships shooting at just him. He was taking the brunt of the attacks. He, anyone could have done that job. You could have picked up any Mandalorian from that greed, and anyone could have piloted. Spaceship basically piloted his fucking self once it he jumped It certainly did not. He steered that thing right where he needed to. It did pinpoint precision. There was no auto anything. That ship was toast because it was taking blast after blast from all these TIE fighters. That motherfucker almost sacrificed himself to make sure that they got rid of Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon is only gone out of the season because of him. Agree to disagree. I mean, I, I do agree the ship. 
Uh, maybe we should say the ship was the MVP, but it definitely wasn't Axe fucking Woves. All he did was fucking sit there and say, go home, guys. Go back to the battlefield. Why, why Captain up here gets to enjoy my big-ass chair. Maybe look out the fucking skyline, take my fucking time, and then I'm going to jetpack out the window with a skill that I've always known how to do since I was fucking in kindergarten in fucking creed care. <laughs> That's what happened. So agree to disagree, sir. Axe Rose is the only reason they have that fleet in the first place. He was a leader Axe of the Rose mercenaries. shouldn't have even been in the season. Should have been about Jack Black and Lizzo. <laughs> no, I'm just fucking with you. But at the same time, anyone could have piloted the ship. That's my argument. But no one did. And he did it. And he, that's the reason. And on top of that, they wouldn't even have those ships. Them ships wouldn't be in existence. They wouldn't be in there. They wouldn't be able to bring them because they wouldn't be there without Axwell was being the leader of the mercenaries after Bo-Katan went and cried in the corner, drew attention to herself in a negative way instead of on her own terms because she was sad that she lost the Darksaber. So, Bo so guess what? Axwell was had to take the spot and be like, alright, well, if you're not gonna do anything, I guess I'll lead these motherfuckers. And then, he comes in clutch with all the stuff that he has built. He built the mercenaries from what they were. And then on top of that, he piloted that ship to the ground with pinpoint precision and took out the big bad for the season. So that's all I have to say about that. That's like saying if Legolas didn't command the archers to let loose. <laughs> like, that was your fucking job. You're not the MVP. Anyone could have done that. That's like saying Legolas destroyed the One Ring to rule them all because he killed some That's Mookai. not saying that at all. What I'm saying is without Axe Wolves, they don't win. That's what I'm saying, and that's why he's the MVP. Because if he doesn't get back to them for reinforcements... They're fucked. The reinforcements had no idea that they needed to go down. And they had no idea they are about to be attacked in the sky. So, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Give me that stupid look. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm well, saying. Well, I agree with Reason. you there, but there'd be no Din Djarin or Bo-Katan if it wasn't for the little green guy. But the Mandalorians would have survived. And then he would have been the leader. <laughs> then he would have figured it out. So, who they oh no. The, 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 the uh, series is not called Din Djarin. The series is not called Grogu. It's called the Mandalorian. And they're all Mandalorians. With or without Din Djarin. With or without Bo-Katan. With or without Grogu. It's still the Mandalorians. And they're species would have survived because of Axe Woves, even if Grogu wasn't able to block that force field. So, I rest my case. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be generous and give it to you despite your erroneous <laughs> erroneous case over here because anyone could have... Grogu, like I said, the real MVP could have piloted that fucking plane himself and probably jumped down with IG-12. <laughs> Came on, he could have done all of it, but... I'll let you have it because I'm a generous guy, just like I'm generous for Axe Woves to even be allowed in this season. We'll <laughs> we'll let the audience decide who they agree with. We don't need to we don't need to get a conclusion there. We gave our we gave our opinions. We'll see we'll see what the masses agree with. <laughs> but and anyway. Oh yeah, man, you wanna well that was uh that was interesting. But I guess we'll see next season who the real uh real MVP is. But anyways, I'll let you take it away. You wanna close us out for the day? Heck yeah, man. Sounds like a plan, guys. Well, if this is your very first time tuning in, we really do hope you enjoy what you heard today. This is one of our favorite types of episodes to do. It's a lot of fun, a lot of stuff's off the cuff, and you know, it, it's you know, not always having to follow a direct line of of uh, notes in, in, in a sequence of events can be fun and it's really entertaining. So uh, glad that you were able to, to stick around for this one. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thank you for continuously being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. 
And to, just to give you an idea of where you can find us, well, we're on all social media platforms. So on Instagram, we're at official ridiculous Patronus. On TikTok, we're at ridiculous Patronus. Backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We have a backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. And we also have a Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy, YouTube Ridiculous Patronus, uh, Twitter RP Factor Fantasy, Snapchat RP Factor Fantasy, and we do have our own site as well, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. When it comes to the podcast and where you can listen, we are wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're an Apple user, we're on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, we are on Google Play, we're on Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Audible, Stitcher, Acast, our host site, Podbean. Like I said, Wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. But we are out for the day because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing Signing off. off.